Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk on location special. We have ways of making you talk at large. Yes. Um, if, you, if you hear workshop noises in the background, sudden hammering, clanging, bashing, there's a reason for that. Where are we, James? We are at Cywell um, Airfield, um, and we're with Richard Grace. And Richard and I, we've known each other a few years now. And Richard is, uh, although he's still incredibly young, um, he's one of the most experienced warbird pilots in the country. Um, he's also the only man in the UK who is qualified as an engineer to sign off on every single restoration part of a warbird, whether it be a Spitfire, whether it be a Messerschmitt Bouchon, whether it be a Mustang, or whether it be a Tempest Two. Hello, Richard. Thanks Hi. for joining. Well, when we're joining you is the truth. We've come yeah. to, you, to your place. Hello. Thanks for coming. Oh, on no the problem. No, you're more than welcome. At least the sun's out. It's a, be- oh, I mean, it's a beautiful day. Um, driving up here in anticipation of today's fun and games. You're a bit excited, aren't you, Jim? Yeah, I am a little bit. I've been excited for quite a long time, ever since we kind of put this in the diary. And then, and then Richard said, um, the only thing that's going to stop it, um, obviously apart from bad weather, is, um, you know, my wife's very, very pregnant and due to drop. And I said, please hold on, please hold on. <laughs> hold it in. <laughs> Unfortunately, she has. So, yeah, well, she has. Very generous of her. Yeah, well, maybe she hasn't, who knows, but she's at least <laughs> keeping shtum about it. It's the second exciting. one anyway. You it's, know. It's, yeah. it's just always, <laughs> It's lovely to be surrounded by this, you know, to see these workshops in in progress. You know, there's a bit of a Spitfire 14 and a Spitfire 12. I'm standing beside a um, a, a couple of Merlins and the that Tempest. One's a Griffin. Well, yeah, Griffin, the yeah. Griffin, actually. The bigger ones are Griffin. Um, and a Tempest 2, which is, again, the only one the only one flying in the world. It will be, be when, when it flies. What's, yeah. what's that past the Tempest? What's That's that? uh, Harvard, actually. Right. Sorry about that. That's and right. then um, we've got, and then beyond the Tempest 2, we've got the uh, the original for you, which is the two-seater, which yeah, your dad I'll, bought and restored. That's correct. Yeah, my father bought it in 1979, along with another one, actually, um, from the back of the newspaper and then restored it himself, um, finishing it in 85. Which newspaper? Oh, that's what I always ask my mother, and she can't quite remember. And, and, he's, he's, and, he's, and he's not about to ask. Probably a red top, you right. know. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> the sun. <laughs> um, but Richard, tragically, your dad, your dad died, didn't he? In a, that's in correct. A, in a car crash. Yep. In, when was it, 85? Uh, October 88. 88. Yep. And so your mum... Um, then took over the mantle, didn't she? Yeah, quite a brave thing to do, really. So she, yeah, she got sort of. She was already uh, a, a pilot, although not vastly experienced at all. But she just, um, she knew that my father very much liked the Spitfire and, and thoroughly enjoyed flying it. So she, um, yeah, she just wanted to fly it herself. And so, with two young children, learned to fly a Spitfire. Um, wow. So soloed it in 1990, um, and then yeah, she just she had a, a thousand hours in it, and then decided that was enough um, in 2017. And moved to Australia and now just moves cattle between paddocks like she did before oh she my met my father. Gosh, so she's, um, she's out in Australia? Yeah, yeah, she's gone. I can't oh. blame her, actually. It's very nice over there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's from Australia. She's Australian. Yeah. Right. Um, and she's simply into aviation because my father turned up to spray some carrots or something in a tiger moth when he was ag flying over there. Now, so, so what have we got planned? Let's, let's, let's just entice the listener. 
uh, with this feast, glistening feast. What have, what have you got planned for us today, Richard? Um, if you're very well behaved, we'll go flying in a Mustang. Oh, come um, on. <laughs> so, and it's a TF Mustang, so it's fully two-seat, dual control, um, cracking view from the back cockpit. And there's, there's, there's nothing, well, there's nothing important that isn't replicated in the back. Um, so you really can, you know, you'll get to feel exactly what it flies like. The great thing about the Mustang as well is it isn't really affected by having seemingly any additional weight it just doesn't care whether it's full of fuel or empty of fuel or whether there's one person or, in it or two people it does, doesn't care um, just wants so to go to berlin about it. correct yeah you'll know you'll get to know exactly how a mustang flies which is it, it's it's so different to the spitfire which is yeah spitfire is very much a sort of finger and thumb airplane to fly whereas the mustang you you sort of need to think and fly like you might imagine an American would with your whole hand. You know, you become Don Blake. Of course you do. Yeah, with your arm on the side, like yeah. taxiing around. But no, it's um, it's a great thing. The the ultimate escort fighter, basically. Well, I have to say, I'm beyond excited. Is is yeah, he's, playing it. He's borderline annoying. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Al, you might notice his voice has gone down a couple of octaves. <laughs> 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 You can hear aeroplanes taxiing or engines being tested and uh, along on the runway, along the sort of skyline, there's a motorbike going back and forth as clearly as fast as he possibly can. So it's, why talk about that when there's, describe the, what we're looking at here, Jim. Well, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, you know how big I am on Mustangs, but here we are with Contrary Mary, P-51D, and um, you know, it's done up in all that late, 19, late 1944, 45 colors, you know, um, Looking all silvery and polished aluminium with checkerboard pattern on and yeah, pattern on the nose and the, and the tail and then the, on the wingtips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the number of kills on What the... I can tell you about checkerboard painted anything is that those people doing those checkerboards definitely had some time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> because that is the biggest nightmare. Not, you know, our paint man did it, but oh, it's, checkerboard is terrible. We did the Thunderbolts checkerboard cowling as well, and it's just days of work. Is it white on black or black on white? It's a fantastic question. I like the way you worded it. I was um, <laughs> I was a bit busy probably putting the wig on it at the time, but I vaguely <laughs> recollect it being black on white. Right. Um, <laughs> but the red outline as well. I mean, it looks wonderful, and we chose the scheme simply based on its appearance. And also, because it's the TF, it has got a slightly bigger, you know, the canopy itself is somewhat longer. Um, and when you shut it, it can look like it's got a bit of a hunchback. This aeroplane used to be painted as Miss Velma and is the one that relatively famously ended up landing in a field at Flying Legends because the engine notably turned off. Um, it's had a new engine since then, don't worry. Nice save. Do you know its origins and what its story it is? It was one of the last Mustangs to be built, um, Air National Guard aeroplane, built as a D, and then it was... Um, one of those projects that was just around sort of forever and eventually got done in the, I think started in the late 90s, finished in the early 2000s, and the decision was done to convert it to a TF, um, which it doesn't really change that much with a Mustang in so much as the front seat stays exactly where it is, right. the instrument panel is exactly as it would be, and it really is just messing about with what is otherwise the storage area for the, or the huge rear fuel tank that a Mustang has and all the radio stuff that goes behind the seat. So it, the space was already there and they've simply filled it with a seat in a more elegant fashion than you would just putting a jump seat in. I'm struck by because we've just come from the hangar where oh, there's off. a Spitfire and, the, <laughs> and then the Tempest and the Tempest makes the Spitfire look dainty. Yeah. Um, but the, the Mustang sort of 
feels physically on it's in terms tidier of size. and neater, isn't it? It's tidier and neater than the Tempest, but it's yep. a sort of halfway house. It is. Those, I mean, there's two so I mean, a Spitfire's twenty five hundred kilos empty. Sorry, I'm in kilos. Yes, alright. Um, <laughs> people have to get their app out and figure out what that really means. Um, and the Mustang's just over three tons. Right. Um, the Tempest is five. So right. it's two, Tempest weighs two, what two empty Spitfires weigh? Empty. God, God. Yeah. So it's just a whole different kettle of fish. Um, but the thing, Richard, I always think about the, about the Mustang is, you know, I know it was was conceived and designed in 1940. But certainly by to the time a you get specification, yeah. yeah, absolutely to British <laughs> specification, um, and, and originally, yeah, yeah, completely brought over and designed as a uh, for, for the RAF. But but what's interesting about it is it, it it just feels like a sort of generational leap forward. Yeah, and it flies just like it's a generational leap forward. I mean, it, it's it's completely different. All of the early aeroplanes that I've flown, I've flown Spitfire and Hurricane quite a bit. I've not flown a P-40, which I suppose is the American equivalent of that era. Yeah. Um, but the Spitfire and Hurricane are just, you know, their typical finger and thumb, amazing to fly aeroplanes. And the Mustang, obviously a, a huge aerodynamic leap forward with laminar flow and things like that. But, but just every aspect of it, how you work on it, how you assemble it. What, what you need to do to make the thing airworthy at the start of each day is just it's completely different. In what way? But in, in, a, in a streamlined, easier yeah. way? They just thought about it. Right. I mean, a Spitfire, having just re-sparred our Spitfire in there, I mean, just putting the wings on it is just a nightmare. Is it? And you're reaming each hole and whacking the bolts have to be a super tight fit. Mustang's just held together with four bolts. You can take it, you can take the fuselage off the wing and put it back on as many times as you like till you're bored. You, you won't wear it out. Whereas a Spitfire, every time you bang close tolerance bolts out of a reamed hole through aluminium, that hole's getting bigger. So right. every time you do it, you know, you do that three or four times, you'll probably have to re-ream your holes, change all the bolts. Yeah. And, you know, you're going But, but that's there. because the Spitfire is designed by a flying boat manufacturer who's it, trying his hand... In 1930, whatever. Yeah. yeah, after 1933, yeah. who's trying his hand at building a, a fast fighter yeah. because there's a spec and obviously a big contract up for grabs. It makes Supermarine a more attractive proposition for Vickers to buy. There's yeah. all these other things at work. Whereas this is... In the clinch, you've got to design, commission, and design a fighter for mass production rather than yep. for, for a fighter spec. That, you know, that, absolutely. That but, but also, I mean, the good folk of North America, when, when they when they get that commission, you know, Edgar Schmoot's the, the the chief designer. He's a German, obviously. He's he's gone over to South America, then been poached and t brought up to North America. You know, the British say to them, "Okay, we can have this new because they've come over specifically to try and get." Um, um, more, more P-40s, haven't they? Yep. That's what they want. Yeah. And um, they've said, you know, we can't produce any more P-40s. I'm sorry, we just haven't got the wherewithal. And, and North America, and the idea initially was that North America would, would make would, them yeah. onto license. Yep. And they go, well, hang on a minute, we've got this, we've had this idea, you know. And they said, well, okay, fine. If you can do it in kind of 120 days, then it's yours. So <laughs> what I'm interested in is how much is those kind of sort of held together with four bolts is already in the mindset of Edgar Schmid and yeah, the designers and how much is it forced upon it by virtue of the fact they've got to do it in 120 days yep it's probably a bit I, of both I'm sure it? it's a bit of both what I can tell you structurally it's particularly simple and we've got a Mustang wing in a million pieces in there that we can look at you know Spitfire wing spar you know, I don't want to keep coming back to the Spitfire but it's it's an easy place to keep coming back to the, the Spitfire wing spar is a very complicated thing yeah the Mustang wing spar is a piece of folded aluminium it's flat 
and you right. just fold it and it's done. You have a wings bar. I mean, it's heat treated, but that's not a big deal. Um, and all the rest of the wing is, and it's just like a PA28 that we just saw take off. I mean, that's all it really is. Nothing's changed since they built the Mustang wing with how to build a wing. Um, I think the main difference, I think the P40 is pretty good, you know, construction methods. Yeah, we the but, British, unfortunately. But that's because British engineering hasn't really sort of... Uh, uh, figured out mass production in, in a meaningful sense the but, real you know, problem the with Americans the Spitfire and the Hurricane forward, is we it? were just too early yeah. so so the Spitfire wing is just a wooden wing made out of aluminium Yeah. the right. Hurricane is just a wooden aeroplane made out of steel it's, it's, it, that's all it is we, we, did, we didn't know how to do it properly yeah. um, but whereas when you get to the Tempest that's an aluminium aeroplane made out of aluminium um, right. in, 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 in the methods that one would use but also um, but also Hawker figuring that out live on stage but just to go back to the Mustang I mean the, the, the interesting about it you know you, you, all the all these things that make it much easier to produce in numbers yep. I mean it, it mean, you know and, and obviously the easier it is to produce the cheaper it is to produce the quicker it is to produce all yep. of which is a massive tick in its box and then you've got this kind of absolutely awesome power and there's a ability to you know fly to beyond berlin and back again yeah huge maneuverability you know packs was a punch the, of its the, 650 caliber was the up engineering yep, fairly, fairly straightforward when they put the you know as it, i understand it, i've seen the allison installation but it's not one i'm particularly familiar with yeah but the the airplane itself was obviously structurally strong enough to handle the the, the different power, yeah amount of horsepower which is not vast anyway because they actually derate the merlin horsepower wise from a spitfire engine say and then run it harder um right. which is a lot of the reason a mustang goes faster than other fighters is because you just the throttle's further open not to put right. too fine a point on right. it but you can do that and you can do it till you're blue in the face because the engine's been derated very carefully right. to make it more reliable and of course if you've got your 1600 horsepower spitfire are you ever really flying it around at 1600 horsepower in the war yes but very very rarely yeah but your 1100 horsepower mustang you can just run it flat out i mean when we do aeros today we'll be running at max continuous power wow which is essentially wow. like a thousand horsepower just there is a bit more to be had but really you're so so they basically by derating it give themselves headroom yeah in, in the the engine's reliability absolutely and tolerances because you're you're never going to you're not going to max it out no that's the that's clever so i mean a mustang engine if you look after it nicely is a thousand hour engine whereas a spitfire engine you'll be lucky to get to 500. Gosh, that's so amazing that, isn't but it? that's a mark that's a mark of um how how much a better um aircraft it is though isn't it if yes. you can run the same engine on less yep. and get more out of it yep. um, more range more speed Yep. So that's incredible that's clever stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, that's I think the, the wing, thing is, is the, the wing speed-wise, yeah, I mean, yeah. a laminar flow wing, I won't bother going into the aerodynamics because I don't know anything about them. Um, but the um, <laughs> <laughs> but laminar flow is pretty clever, put it that way. You know, the thickest part of the aerofoil is well back, so it doesn't work in the same method. But they also discovered, didn't they, that the the, the, the air intake, that air intake underneath yeah. underneath it, that actually produces a, a form of kind of it jet does, thrust as but, well. But the Spitfire does that. Oh, does it? Yeah. So it, it, essentially, if you've got larger intake than your outlet and you warm the air that you you've taken in up, it is always going to make thrust. And, but, but the Mustang does it really, really well. But the amazing thing about the, the marriage of the Mustang airframe to the Merlin engine is the fact that the higher you go, the faster it goes. So, yeah. so it's this thing that, you know, it can, it, you know at 35,000 feet, it can fly 70 miles an hour faster in 1944 than the fastest German aircraft they've got. Yeah. 
you know, not obviously not including an MET six. Which is a huge. I mean, but, but over a Fokker Wolf one ninety or a, or a, or it's a an insane MV advantage. It's that's a huge advantage. It? I mean, it's staggering, really. I, I always, you know, four hundred fifty miles, five miles an hour. And the, yeah, the Americans were doing it with the twin-engine stuff as well. I mean, like mm. the A26 Invader, which I'm not sure how much service it actually saw. I'm sure you probably know, but I mean, that'll outpace a Mustang. Really? It's a big aeroplane, but it'll outpace yeah. a Mustang. Um, yeah, so they just knew, they obviously did know how to make things go fast. And it isn't anything to do with the checkerboards, but it must help. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, isn't it to do with the paint, though? The, the go faster stripes. The... the, 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 the Aircraft isn't as heavy when it's... Uh, yeah, true. I mean, what they did, what frame. I can tell you, that they did put a lot of effort into, because we thought about doing it with that aeroplane when we repainted it as Contrary Mary. Um, but if I'm brutally honest, we didn't have the time nor the inclination to do it, because we were trying to get it ready for Flying Legends, which we achieved by, you know, the sum total of three days. Um, but they, they spent so much time on the surface finish pre-paint... So the whole wing was fillered with a very, very thin coat of filler, often numerous times to generate a perfectly smooth finish. Mm. And there's endless documents written about surface finishing of Mustangs and its wings and tailplane. They just made it completely smooth. Um, and that are they are they are they wind tunnel testing the Americans at this point? Because I believe so. Because it's a thing that it's a thing that pre-war the British don't really kind of get round to yeah. properly, and the Germans are into it, aren't they? The, I've certainly the, seen a lot of pictures of models in a wind tunnel. Yeah. I would assume there was a level of full-scale testing done yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just cleaning it up. I mean, the They've got a Brooklyn's, haven't they? They do, yeah. I mean, the problem with all these American aeroplanes, when you see them parked up like that, is they all look a bit... Oh, they don't, I'm not going to say they look rubbish. I think that's unfair. But they look a bit draggy because all American aeroplanes, you park with the flaps down and the gear doors all hang down. And yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. the Spitfire is sort of a little pert kind of thing and all that's sticking out is the wheels. Um, and you really don't get an appreciation for how, for why a Mustang goes fast until you see one, you, you're next to one in the air or you're next to a Thunderbolt in the air. I mean, a Thunderbolt looks like a brick, doesn't it? But you yeah. actually get next to it in the air. And you're like, all of a sudden, I understand why this aeroplane is a good performing aeroplane. Um, um, all I can tell you about a Mustang when you stood out here, because obviously we can't put you next to a Mustang today, I'm sorry, um, but we can put you in one. Um, <laughs> but when you stood next to it and you watch it taxi out, just watch the wing as the wing flaps go up. And as they go up, they just delicately squeeze up the, the rear fairing of the wing and you think, let's eh, just put a little bit of thought into that. And, and the whole side of it just cleans up completely and then the inner doors go up and, and it, all of a sudden it does look a very, very clean aeroplane. I mean, we're, obviously, we're going to keep we keep referring to the Spitfire. What's it like to fly compared to a Spitfire? Because you're saying earlier on the Spitfire and Hurricane are like dainty. And couldn't be more different. It's it's. it's but the, how does that manifest? It's the difference itself? between an interceptor fighter and a and an escort fighter. An interceptor, you want to weigh nothing, climb rapidly, and be very light and easy to fly and manoeuvre in whatever way it takes to get someone to go away. Yeah. Whereas an escort fighter, ninety percent. You know, your bread and butter is is flying along next to a bomber for ages. And you don't want that to be a taxing process. So, you know, it's got three trim wheels and, and it's heavy on the stick. The stick is centred, just wants to stay in the middle all the time. Yeah. So if you want anything out of it, you, you've got to move it. And actually, you know, you've got to move it. it. It takes a bit of force to move it. If you're doing a display in one, it's knackering, actually. Right. You end up trimming it in to loops and things. Well, I do anyway. Maybe no one else does. Or maybe I shouldn't have given my secrets away. <laughs> but you end up trimming it in to loops so that you can keep doing them for 10 minutes. Um, it's that heavy in pitch um, 
I mean, the Messerschmitt was also equally heavy in pitch, but I'd put that down to, I don't know, just not being very well designed in that department. Um, but, but still highly manoeuvrable, right? Oh, hugely manoeuvrable, yeah. I mean, it's not going to outturn anything. I mean, there has to be a compromise, doesn't there? Yeah, you can't yeah. put 96 gallons of fuel in each wing and whatever it is, 84 behind the seat and a couple of drop tanks and expect the thing to to pick that up and out turn a 109 it, it, it won't do it and it's got quite a vicious high speed stall as well the only nice thing about it is as you're approaching it so teach my grandmother how to suck eggs again but a high speed stall is where you detach the airflow from the wing in a turn yep. yeah um and it it buffets a bit as you're coming towards it, it doesn't quite talk to you like some others do but it, it will buff it well and basically saying if you keep doing that i'm going to let go and when it let go, uh, when it lets go, you you do know about it. I think it's fair to say, um, and it does also. What you it, drop out of the sky? It, it, worse, actually, it, it sort of turns right over, and and, and it's not. We're not doing it today. Put it that no, way. No, There'll be no demonstrations of that today. <laughs> but the um, the other vice is. Oh, sorry, we've got some scaffolding going through. The um, Low speed handling is its vice. You, you can't make an aeroplane that goes exceptionally fast that is then genius at low speed. That's because it's got and, a massive high wind loading, right? Yeah, of course. And, and the laminar flow element of it means right. that when the airflow detaches, it, it detaches. You know, right. it's quick as that. So but is landing and takeoff tricky? No. In fact, it's very easy, but you just can't get the speeds. Because right. you've got the flaps on, right? Yeah, and you've got lovely wide track gear and the yeah, soft yeah, yeah. undercarriage. And, right. But you, you have to fly a speed, and there is a minimum speed. And you do not go below that minimum speed. Um, it has a stall that isn't. This one's actually very nice, too nice, in fact. Uh, and, and, and I've checked a couple of people out in it, and you let them go in it. You say, just remember, if you fly another Mustang, they're not all like this. <laughs> you, do, right. you might, you know, you will catch yourself out. But because this particular one, for whatever reason, it it doesn't even really drop a wing when you stall it. It's just sort of all right, which they they shouldn't be. It should be yeah. vicious and horrible. Um, Whereas a stalling a Spitfire must be because it's a twitchier. It's just it, well, the the early ones are a bit interesting because they've they've got the short engine, so they yeah. see. It's all about central gravity yeah, position, yeah. how interesting the stall is, and and with that little baby Spitfire engine, the CFG is well aft, and they do sort of drop a wing plus a bit. Yeah. A Mark Nine just drops a wing, it's nothing, fifty five knots or something. It just drops a wing and off you go. Right. The you know Mustang ninety knots clean and it all. It goes well, you know, through 90 degrees and yeah. nose down. But the real problem, and I'm sure it would have caught a lot of people out, was the the approach configuration, um, stall in a turn with a bit of power on, because you always have a bit of power on. You know, that, that knackered off a mission, coming back to the airfield and the weather's a bit pants and you've flown the circuit, you didn't want to fly, an old mate in front, you can't decide whether he's going to get out of your way or not. So you're trying to slow it down, but you're trying to... And then it, when you stall it, there, useful hand gestures for a podcast. Um, when you stall it in a turn with the nose well up and some power on, it it just turns right over. It's actually quicker to keep the roll going and roll all the way around back to level right. than it is to try and recover in the opposite direction to the way you just rolled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so run with the roll rather than um, that's it. If you, it. It is not one for stalling near the ground. Whereas no. a Spitfire, just a no-brainer. Hurricane, just a no-brainer. They're just yeah. normal aeroplanes. Yeah. Well, one of my great heroes is Don Blakesley. I always thought he's a fantastic character. And, yep. of course, he came over with the Eagle Squadrons, flew Spitfires, and then got converted over to P-47s and always hated the P-47. Oh, did he? Yeah, didn't like it. And then when the first, it was the 354 for the first fighter group to be fully equipped with um, with Mustangs in the autumn of, um, I think their first flight was something like the 6th of December 1944 or something like that. 43, rather. And um, But he'd already flown one at that point, and he just said... 
Four Fighter Group has just got to have these, and he just lobbied and lobbied and lobbied. And then yeah. Jimmy Doolittle comes in and uh, takes over Eight Fair Force, and he lobbies him and lobbies the commander of um, Eight Fighter Command, and says, "Come on, you know, give us." A, and, and he says, "Well, you know, how long is it going to take you?" And he says, "Basically, just give me 24 hours. Give me, right. give, me give me, and I will convert my entire Fighter Group onto onto Mustangs in 24 I mean, hours." Look, that's the thing the Americans really did get right, and I, I've, I'll, I'll caveat that by saying I've only flown a Mustang in a P47. Um, they fly exactly the same. Right. Everything is really nearly in the same place in the cockpit. The instrument panel looks to all intents and purposes exactly the same. It stalls the same. It lands the same. The brakes are the same. Everything's the same. So a conversion is a is a you know it's right. a, is a chat in the tea room. Well, he did he did do it. Um, I mean, gosh, he they, they had I think something like three or four days in which to kind of yeah, switch over, and they absolutely. did. And um, no one would have struggled with it. No. And and he I mean they just absolutely loved them and the whole fourth um, fighter group which had you know absolute legends in it I mean this is Don Gentili and people like that yep. flying with them um, all switched over by very end of February beginning of March 1944 um, they're all on Mustangs and he absolutely loved it and he's just this sort of you know again he's this sort of generation on you know there's something you know you, there's, a, there's a wonderful photograph of, of Don Blakesley briefing his pilots and they all just look fantastically good looking and square jawed and got great teeth and you know they're all sitting there just looking just, just looking again at bloody American they look the part they, they, they just look confident kind of gung ho up for it capable competent you know just yeah. know their business they, they, they just do what they say on the tin and yeah, he led them absolutely brilliantly in, in that part of the first half of 1944. Yeah, amazing. I mean, he just swore by it, and he, and he carried on flying them till, his, till, he, I, till he was absolutely you know, really grounded can't. in his 80s, I think. And Bud Anderson's the same, you know. Yeah. Sort of still I, I'm no fighter pilot. I'd like to point that out. I'm a total civilian aviator, and I think I wouldn't last 10 minutes in a dogfight, if that too, probably. Um, but oh, I'm not sure. I, I can't think of a way to make a Mustang any a better fighter other than maybe whacking a cannon down the middle of the engine like yeah. the Germans did. You know, that's, right. that's that's the only way you could make it better. As the helicopter lands, the Mustang is coming back towards us. So I think, Jim, you're going up shortly. We'll be back after the break to speak to Richard Grace more about the Mustang. But if you want to see footage of James and I flying, plus more video content from our day, then make sure to join our Patreon. It costs £5 a month and you get tons of exclusive content, including these sorts of videos, before anyone else. Welcome back. James and I are talking about flying in the Mustang with Warbird pilot Richard Grace. Since we last spoke to you, sweet listener um, or viewer... James and I have been up in the Mustang. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah, we've been smiling ever since. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. I feel, I feel quite giddy with the whole thing. It does have that effect on people. <laughs> you yeah, must be used to be being around people in a sort of state of ecstatic Absolutely, bliss. yeah. I've, I've not known anyone actually ever sort of come out of it and go, oh, it was rubbish. It just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't, it just doesn't imagine, happen. Just imagine if someone did. <laughs> and there's one person, Harry Harris, who had a show called Harry and His Taxi or something. He used to drive around and see people. And I took him flying in the Spitfire and he got out of it and kissed the ground. I was very annoyed. He obviously just didn't like flying. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not for everyone, is it? Well, I certainly enjoy flying. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I was completely struck by by how smooth it was and how just, I don't know, it just seemed so sort of robust and smooth and you just felt completely... Solid. Solid, yeah. Great yeah. gun platform. Yeah. You yeah. know, you can... It's, it is very, very stable. 
Um, and there was there was some bumps around, definitely, but it just rides them. Certainly, we found some because we were going slightly lower level down yeah. down south, and it just rides them so well. Whereas, obviously, something with a lower wing loading would would not ride them so well. Yeah, it would be more skittish. With <laughs> Absolutely, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was really struck by, you know, compared to compared to say the Spitfire, is how much I could see that that you can actually look over your shoulder and and scan the scan the sky around you yeah. in a way you, you, you can't out of the little the, the half blister that you get with a Spitfire absolutely it's quite extraordinary yeah. yeah 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 it was it was really good and actually I mean again I had that thing where you sort of look behind you you know your, your vision behind you is pretty poor isn't it you know mm. you don't want someone on your tail you can see why no. everyone says try and shoot someone down from behind without even realising you're there they used to pop a good you know well i think it was spitfire mirrors and then eventually a slightly bigger mirror but you, and you'd see them sometimes with with two of them you know one on each side and yeah just anything to try and see behind you but it's just half the problem is you've got too much gear on mm. i mean their parachutes are far more ungainly than ours and they're wearing a life jacket all the time because they're always going over the sea yeah so you're um, you're hunched up aren't you? and, and obviously a jacket because they're at yeah. eye level so they've just got way more stuff on than we have I should just say that as we're talking, ML407, you know, which is one of the most Spitfire, famous Spitfires in the world, is just sort of retreating back into the hangar. And that's what you get when you come to places like this, isn't it? You just sort yeah, of, well, you're, you're, you're surrounded by aviation. Earlier on, I was, I was realised I was blasé at the sound of a Merlin engine starting up. I, I, I <laughs> oh, another this, one. <laughs> yeah, oh, there goes another one. It reached a sort of inoculated stage. <laughs> My thrill level is uh, dro- dropping off as a result of today, I think. I think but, but, you know, we've, we've, done, we've done barrel rolls, we've done loop the loops, we shot up a train, we've done yeah. low passes over lakes. Yeah, buzzed my parents' house. Yeah. We, we, we gave Stukely a good buzzing. Um, uh, a question. When, when we went into the... Um, uh, why do... Loop the loop. Why do I look left? Ah, sorry. I, it was... Yeah, I should have briefed you on it beforehand. It's a lot easier to brief it beforehand than it is on board. But, yeah. Um, call it rustiness, whatever you like. But it, it just... Um, the loop takes a long time. Yes. And there is a bit of G, you know, probably yeah. two and a half to three in the first quarter of it. Yeah. Going upwards, you know, maybe, oh, I suppose three is about as much as we'd get. Yeah. And then lessening off as we come over the top. But if you just look straight ahead, all you will see, the second the, the ground goes behind the leading edge of the wing. Yeah. Just sky. Right. And you won't know what's going on. Right. And that's when people tend to feel unwell. Whereas yeah. if you look out the side, you sort of get... An appreciation for exactly what's going on yeah. and exactly what stage of the loop we're in and it's just yeah i mean it's something that aer- you do as an aerobatic pilot to know how much rudder you need to put yeah. on but actually it just helps people feel well orient themselves and feel well i mean yeah. it's like the thing i it was interesting is i was struck by the g the second time we were and the first time yeah. i didn't notice it so much yeah. because of the novelty of it that's right and yeah. the second time <laughs> your like senses are catching up i did i always do the first one slightly more gently than right, the second okay, one that's that's just okay well that's interesting not, there wasn't much in it yeah but just ever so slightly more gently on the first one just to see how you get on with it because some people yeah. simply don't like it yeah um but Luckily, you know, we've been flying people in our Spitfire now for 30, what it would be, 37 years. So we do, yeah, you do sort of learn how to not make people feel unwell. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was struck by was just how many kind of old disused airfields were yeah. all over the place. I mean, it was literally mm. kind of, you know, 700 yards and there's another one. Yeah, well, wing at the back, at, you know, which we flew up to, that was, a, that was an RAF yeah, um, uh, conversion yeah. station. Right. They used to fly Wellingtons out of there. So they are literally everywhere. They are literally everywhere. And, and you can see them so clearly from the sky. You can just see this sort of imprint, even on a ploughed field, you know, yeah. where the old crisscross of the runways was. It's, it's staggering. really I, obvious. One of my favourite 
things to look at on Google Earth, and I, and I, I say look at because I look at it more than once, is Falmere, and you can go in that Google Earth mm, history thing, yeah. scroll back. If you look at Falmere, one of the shots of it, it's still like you know, 20 years ago when it was a farmer's field, you can see all of those same hangers that Dutch yeah. have got, just clear as a bell on the field. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. yeah. yeah it really yeah. is. Well, it's been a most wonderful day. Um, my appreciation of the of the Mustang has just gone up another notch, and let's face it, it was pretty high anyway. Well, you were—I mean, you're completely uh, in—you in, know—it's not a Spitfire Mark One situation here, is it, Jim? No. <laughs> You've only ever liked them. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the I, I mean, the thing I thought was really interesting also is that you don't. At one point, you said, "Oh, we're doing. Th- we were just doing 300 miles an hour then," and I had no idea. I mean, obviously, because I'm I'm looking at the instruments, thinking, "All oh, right, the old pressure's okay. Where are the others? What am I looking for here?" Um, uh, and 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 obviously, that airspeed is is that a relative airspeed? What what what's yeah, it measured it's a, to? It's so it's airspeed, so right. it's a lot like being on a boat moving in the tide. Yeah, it's as fast as you're moving through the air that you're. So, so we were going 300 miles an hour. Yeah. Obviously, Neil win today. We were going yeah. 300 miles an yeah. hour on the ground. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. But it's the funny you, you said. I would do, we're doing 300, and I, I, it didn't feel uh, particularly like we. No, were, your sensation of speed totally goes, and yeah. that's why you need to go and find either the ground or a lake yeah. or a cloud, yeah. um, and then you get it. You just need something to reference it yeah. off, and then all of a sudden, it you're like, oh, you're actually really moving here. Because the other thing I, that um, also struck me is, you know, when we did some aerobatics, was that. Um, was how disorienting it is and how easily it would be if you got in a tangle with someone and you're chasing someone about and you're ducking and diving and to come out the other end of that, you know, maybe it's a minute, two minutes, three minutes or however long, you come out the other end of it and you absolutely no idea where you are. I mean, I, you know, when we went down to where my parents are, I know round there... (laughs) I know what it should. That one. I know you know what it should look like. I know which, which village ought to be which. Oh, that's the cricket pitch you can see from there when you drive up. And I and I was clueless <laughs> um, for, for a large stretch of it for places I know really well. So that yeah. that I found was really that was really striking that you you just disoriented. You know? But imagine you know obviously now England's significantly more built. I mean, yeah. Milton Keynes was probably barely there in World War Two, yeah. was it? Um, and Certainly but, not so but, many warehouses. But the airfields were they were all. Loads of them, and they all would have looked the same, wouldn't they? Yeah. So you over there where we were, imagine getting disoriented over there. Mm. You can see why so many of them landed back at the wrong place. Like, oh, excuse me, where are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you pull up, and but you, also, you're in the wrong, yeah, also, wrong you, you know, street. so many times people talk about sort of, you know, I was in this melee, and I was following this chat down, and I came out the drive, and suddenly the sky was completely empty. Yeah, and you, you suddenly go, okay, I, I can relate <laughs> I to this now. Yeah. Yeah. I understand why this <laughs> happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know this area like the back of your hand, but it, even. It, you know, because after all, you're planning your, your manoeuvres, you're deciding what to do. The spontaneity yeah. of an aerial battle, I can yeah. see completely see. Oh, and also absolutely. why you would land at the wrong strip. And, yeah. Because you know, they, they do all look the same. If I were, bet half of them were probably having a tangle over the channel and ended up landing in France by accident. Well, it did happen. Well, the, well, the, well, the, the FW190 that took a reciprocal and ended up in Bristol, didn't right. it? Right. Yeah, you know. yeah. 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 Just completely Easily understandable. Done. And yeah. how you, you had control? You know, how, how was flying the Mustang for you? Um, uh, when you felt the controls? You know, uh, I th- well, you had to put more effort in than, um, uh, than the Spitfire. Um, it, it felt, you just sort of breathe on a Spitfire, don't it's you? Sort of, it's sort of... It's um, it, I, it's, I, don't know, I don't know. I suppose the comparison would be like a like a MG, and uh, and a great big bloody Cadillac. Yeah, you know, um, or, or something. It feels more four wheel drive. You know, even though 
obviously it's the same power plant even downrated you know that's, that's the strangest thing about yeah. it isn't it yep they're getting more out of the engine out of less out of the engine it's extraordinary yep clever stuff yeah yeah it's brilliant <laughs> but thanks again i'm still grinning i'm gonna i'm gonna bore everyone completely shitless about this so yeah anyway, <laughs> well, 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 it. yeah oh we shot this train <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much richard and uh thanks oh, no, for your honestly, time no problem at all and the, and for the you know the air miles cheerio everyone or yes telly ho <laughs> gee whiz <laughs>